Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Is This Music? A podcast on the mysteries of musical taste, why we love the music we love and hate what we hate. My name is Malcolm Fraser. On this week's episode, I'm talking to Jace Lasik. He is known as the lead singer and guitarist of the Montreal-based band The Besnard Lakes, as well as the co-owner of Break Glass Studio in Montreal, uh, which has recorded and mixed um, probably hundreds of artists uh, over the years. Really uh, one of the cornerstones of the, of the current Montreal music scene and community. Um, we've known each other for quite a while, and we went through a period of very fruitful collaboration, then went in different directions, but we still stay in touch. And uh, I had a lot of fun in this conversation. There's a lot of laughs. Uh, listening back, I realized that I also um, really, uh, I don't know if it was just my mood or the nature of our relationship, but I seem to really feel comfortable of making fun of him. Uh, I hope I don't seem like an asshole. Uh, it was intended to be in good fun. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoy uh, listening to the conversation. Jace Lasik, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. Well, you know, we've known each other a few years now. Um, I was remembering, trying to remember how we met. And uh, I think it was Wendy Wong who uh, put us in touch. It was Wendy Wong because you... Didn't you guys go to school together? Art school? Yeah. Video, film school. Yeah, I was, uh, Stacy and I were in film and, and Wendy was in photography at Ryerson in, oh, in Toronto. Right. Yeah. And uh, and then we moved to Montreal in 2001 and Wendy was like, oh, I have these friends you should meet, you should meet up with. You guys would like them. Jason, Olga, they play in this band, Besnard Lakes. And I was like, okay, cool. And she, I was like, what kind of band are they? And she was like, uh, I would say post-rock. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I want to be friends with, with those guys. <laughs> um, um, which, you know, I'm, um, I, guess, uh, I guess that's a confession. But, like, um, but, uh, but, but it wasn't really true in a way, right? Like, you guys weren't really post-rock. I mean, I maybe mean... your first record had some edges of that. Yeah, I mean, we were to begin with. That's kind of where we, like, even when Augie and I were courting, we were courting to post rock, all that thrill jockey stuff that was happening. We actually almost moved to Chicago instead. Wow. Did you just say courting to post rock? (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like that could be like one of those things where those, that combination of words has never like been used before. It was it was it was uh, uh, according to post rock and uh, uh, yes, okay, the, uh, yeah, mostly mostly the album Fragile. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, so, well, that reminds yeah. me. Like I'm. Uh, I mean, okay. Well, I don't know where to begin here. Like post rock <laughs> has always been like one of my least favorite genres because, um, I mean, I think it's maybe just first of all the the term is so annoying. Uh, to me <laughs> and I've said this before but but it's like it imp- it's so pretentious because it implies that like rock is finished and this is what's next exactly yeah yeah I feel like what happened the, the same kind of thing happened to us in a way I got really I mean I've 
I grew up listening to heavy metal and, you know, rock bands and punk rock bands. And there were always, you know, when my when I was a kid, my dad was like big Bee Gees fan, big Beach Boys fan. And what's post rock not have most of the time? Vocals. Uh-huh. So I, 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 I eventually realized after being in love with post-rock for years, uh, it, when I first moved to Montreal, that's when I started getting really bummed out by post-rock because I wanted to just hear vocals again. And I think what kind of got me out of the post-rock dream I was in mm-hmm. uh, was uh, The Strokes. Oh, yeah. I think when I heard the strokes, I was like, okay, that's it. And then I heard uh, a clientele album that was out at that time, and I can't remember which one. But when I heard those, then I was like, okay. And I mean, I'd always been a, you know, Beach Boys, Bee Gees, you know, fan. And then I obviously love Spiritualized too. So then I took all of those. And then said, "Okay, let's throw that into the washing machine and see if if we can make something that kind of has those sorts of qualities. And that's when we started making the first Besnard record. Right. And we were like, then we were like, okay, well, let's take all the post-rock riffs that we wrote and turn them into actual songs with with lyrics and, you know, that and have them actually go somewhere instead of. Nowhere. Have them nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like I mean, I, I don't mean to rag on you too much about about post rock, but like I remember when, uh, like I read this re- interview with I think it was like Justin Gage who was from uh, do not Justin Gage. What am I saying? Justin Small from uh, Do Make Say Think. Yeah, and uh, he, he this was quite a number of years ago, but he was like, yeah, you know, we're kind of getting bored with post rock, and I was like, yeah, it's fucking boring <laughs> music, like. <laughs> But um, I, I, yeah, I, I just, I, I think that like the pretentious title is one thing, but I, I like pretension like when it's earned, you know. But I, Mm -hmm, I, whenever mm -hmm. I listen to, and I'm, I'm I'm perhaps like exaggerating my position a little bit because I like bands like you know Gastro del Sol who were like super pretentious, yeah, and uh, and Tortoise they were pretty good, like you know I I never got deep into them, but they always seemed pretty good, Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I figured I, I don't know. I was really into Pink Floyd uh, as a teenager, and yeah. when I first heard uh, like the leading post rock bands, I was like, yeah, you know, I've already heard Pink Floyd's Amagama and yeah. like, Adam Hart Mother yeah. and all those <laughs> yeah. long, like ridiculously self indulgent, um, you know, songs and fucking album length suites that like are <laughs> <just> totally pointless. <laughs> Um, and I loved that when I was like 14, but when, Did, when post-rock came out, I was like, Wh- whatever, like I've heard this before. I mean, even like, even like can or like silver apples, like it was all just a regurgitation of what they were doing too. So yeah, but can and silver apples have this kind of like outsider-ish quality that I sort of like, um, but, um, Whereas I guess post rock in the end, I just wasn't on the same page. I it was it seems so nerdy to me, and that I can't deny that that's a part of like where I'm coming from. But like when post rock was big, I was more into like like fucking rock and roll, and like <laughs> you know I had a band called Rock and Roll Bad Boy Express, and we were like <laughs> we would just like 
get super drunk before the shows. It was super sloppy. All the lyrics were like, you know, about like rock and roll and how awesome we were and stuff. And <laughs> it was like the heyday of post rock where the cool thing to do was like stare at your shoes for the entire yep. like uh, yep. show. And everyone thought that what we were doing was just totally like retrograde and stupid. Um, so, you know, in the end. But I think in the end, you have post rock to thank because of the anger it created. <laughs> Yeah. Cause the bad boy express to hit the rails, man. I guess. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, it's like so many things in my life. I didn't even know I was doing something like against the grain. I just thought that what I was doing was cool. And then as I, when I realized that it wasn't considered cool, I had to, you know, <laughs> rethink like, be like, Oh yeah, I'm doing it on purpose. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but, uh, mm. Yeah, where, where where was I going with that? Um, I I can't remember, but uh, but I I I did um think that um it was interesting when you said that you listened to prog rock and yes at the same time because like some years back I was like you know ranting about post rock and like what does it even mean and stuff and Stacy my wife was like I know what it is, it's like hipster prog right, mm -hmm. and I was like oh okay mm -hmm. maybe that very good description. Yeah, and I don't... That's exactly that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um and 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 Prague, I think like, you know, it's had a bit of a renaissance, but of course it's like the go to uh scapegoat for like people who are into punk and stuff. You know Yeah, like... I I think it's always gonna be I don't ever think Prague will become full on cool. You know, there's always there, there there's always things that are coming back. You know, you know, thirteenth floor elevators. Everybody got all excited about that. Rocky Erickson for a while. You know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, that nothing, nothing in the prog rock realm will ever hap will ever come back like that. I don't think. It's just too. It's it's just too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's like it. It's so nerdy, and it's like aggressively nerdy. You know. Yes. Um, yeah, it's really blatantly like "fuck you." Here's a thousand notes. Yeah, yeah. Which it's a lot, a lot of like. I mean, I always found it kind of strange that they called Pink Floyd prog rock. Yeah, I well, guess maybe that's because of the 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 length of the songs and maybe some of the time signatures. But you know, the only weird time signature they really did that was noticeable was money. Yeah. You know, so I, I never really considered Pink Floyd prog rock at all. No, you know? I mean, I think also they were pre they were pretentious in, in, a, in a way, in a kind of adorable way. Like, to, yes. to me, like, yeah. you know, the 15 minute long songs and like the sort yeah. of like, I, I don't know, like high toned kind of themes and everything. Um, yeah. But uh, no, for sure. Like, I mean, I think what I love about Pink Floyd, the early Pink Floyd is that they're just wankers. Like, I even read a, an interview with Roger Waters once where he was like, someone was asking him what he thought about Nirvana or something. And he's like, oh, I think it's great. Like, you know, it's just like what we were doing. Like, none of us except Dave had any talent. We had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's, that's, that's awesome that's of awesome. him to, to yeah. say that. Huh. But I just uh, the other day, like I, I was really into Pink Floyd as a as a teenager to the point where I just I I, I overdosed and couldn't do it anymore um, for for quite a long time. And, and 
there's such a presence on like you know classic rock radio and stuff that it's just kind of like yeah part of the landscape but the other day i came across the clip of them singing uh playing echoes at from the uh pink floyd at pompeii Mm. movie and i was like yeah i'm sorry this is fucking awesome yeah like it's just it just rules period oh my god it's the best yeah i love it i i loved i mean i i think i got into pink floyd yeah i did i got into them quite late uh actually i was buying all my pink floyd records when Augie and I were first getting together in like 98, 99, she was working and uh, I was in art school. So I would be home a lot by myself. And I remember just putting on Pink Floyd records like all the time. There was a really awesome record store in Vancouver I would go to. And they had really great condition uh, old vinyl. And I bought out all their Pink Floyd stuff pretty quickly. And I was just... That that totally I mean, I guess it would have been at the same time I was I was listening to post rock. But I think maybe that was part of the gateway. I was trying to find the, the where where this came from, you know, because yeah. I was listening to talk talk before uh, the post rock thing. And then they everybody was saying, oh, talk talk was a big influence on it. And then they were talking about can. And then they started talking about like uh, like uh, Pink Floyd's metal and, and uh, you know, Echoes in particular, Adam Hart, Adam Hart, Mother. And so then I started buying those records and I was like, oh, fuck. But like then there's like Dark Side and like Wish You Were Here. And I mean, those, uh, you know, f- Saucer Full of Secrets and, yeah. you know, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And like and then it was just holy fuck. Like I could just buy any pink floyd record and know that it was gonna be awesome and that i would enjoy it yeah yeah they had a really I mean, good run there i think the metal is the is kind of like my favorite in a way because it's kind of like it, it's it's right before dark side of the moon so right before they kind of like decided to kind of clean up their act and stop doing yeah. the fucking <laughs> 15 minute songs and um but but it has just enough of that early wankery Combined yep. with the sort of master pop song craft that would yep. come uh, a little later. Yep. Having said yep. that, I mean, Wish You Were Here is like extremely self-indulgent too, right? Yes, but, but still such a good record. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that Richard Wright is a really underrated part of uh, of Pink Floyd. Like everyone yep. always talks about Waters and Gilmore, obviously. But, uh, but I mean, when I was watching that Echoes clip from Pompeii, the way it was cut together made it look like he was like the lead singer and i it kind of just it kind of put him back in the forefront of my mind i always liked his songs and what he brought to the table yep anyway i this could yeah. turn this is in danger of turning into like a <laughs> extremely like this is going to be like the post rock of podcasts like <laughs> long self-indulgent <laughs> pointless <laughs> but um anyway i was i was glad when you shouted out the strokes earlier because i remember like when the strokes came out you know it's sort of like what i was saying before about um you know they were like it was like rock and roll you know like mm-hmm. and as soon as they came out everybody started ragging on them because they're like they're like rich kids and i was mm-hmm. kind of like okay i get that but like also who gives a shit yeah you know like yeah. first of all i mean I, this is another tangent but like most people who are artists are from like middle class and up backgrounds and like maybe that's not a good thing but that's just you can't 
like i guess th- at the end of the day like it's about the music man <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you're right you know those guys they were i mean i i i feel it, pro- it probably isn't true but i feel like though the the strokes were like the first band that kind of woke everybody up from the the post rock sleep uh, cuz i it it seemed and maybe it was just me because i started uh, searching uh, elsewhere for music mm-hmm. but i just feel like after they after they put out that record uh a, a lot of the 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 kids who were you know who were lost in their post rock slumber had had finally if if they had discovered the strokes i mean they're undeniably awesome yeah you know there's the the songs are so great but what's interesting about them and which which maybe i don't know if anybody actually ever uh, uh compares them to to post rock but they're kind of a minimalist band Mm-hmm. It, yeah, in some it, ways, in that sense, like they're, they're, you know, the 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 riffs are 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 simple and smooth, and the 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 movements are are brilliant, but but minimal. You know, like there isn't really a lot happening between verses, choruses, and and bridges, but it's so well put together. But I mean, the guitar parts are simple. You know, nothing's really overly complicated. Uh, and they just they, they're they're pretty much just getting to the point. And I mean that I feel like there maybe was I mean, it's even in some of the guitar parts, I feel like instead of them just playing straight up power chords in certain spots, they would play like a different sort of interval, which would to me kind of suggests the the, you know, the Papa M uh uh Dave Paho uh post rock era where they would that you know nobody played a power chord okay. everybody would play an inversion of it and 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 still and try and create like these like you know m- more sort of sophisticated voicings but i mean i'm digressing it's probably not that at all but <laughs> well I mean, but I... also too because i was coming straight out of post rock i was looking like i even i was even hearing uh, post rock influence in Fugazi when I was because I was still uh, you know I love Fugazi to death still buying all their records and I could hear post rock influences in the records that they were putting out which may or may not be true but I could hear it when I was at at uh, in Vancouver uh, I would listen to a post rock record and then I would listen to like end hits or like you know the argument and be like oh yeah they're totally like there's like this longer drone section where they're like the drums are playing but there's like just a bass line and like a, just a couple of guitar notes they're totally listening to post rock yeah well I mean I <laughs> so, I, 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 I wouldn't wouldn't uh, you know I'd have to look at a at like a calendar or something to to figure out you, you know to me it would almost be like the other way around but uh but well i mean this is the thing it's like not 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 originally but i mean the albums that were coming out like the fugazi records that were coming out like 97 99 you know i think end hits was like somewhere in there like 97 argument was like 99 or something like that in that in that time uh but post rock was like 95 93 90 to 97 so it was all sort of happening at the at the same time yeah so i was kind of yeah so and i mean fugazi definitely evolved their sound over the years for sure like definitely from if you go from repeater to end hits 
even even repeater to like red medicine is like uh they're pretty different sounding records yeah you know i don't know their music that well i have to say even though like um, they're so huge. They loom so large in like the discussion about music and culture and like because of their whole DIY ethic. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I mean, one thing that I mean, I saw them live, uh, you know, around that time, like 94 or something. And uh, and whenever I hear their music, I'm always just kind of like and maybe this is the thing about post rock, if I'm being generous, like uh, and 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 also Fugazi wherever the overlap might be is that it's just like interesting music. Like there, it, it's not just mm-hmm. like, okay. Like my, my musical mind was kind of like warped uh, because I was into to Pink Floyd and Rush particularly. And then like I discovered the Ramones and it was just like, you know, year zero, like just like erased yeah. the past. And now yeah. it's all about musical minimalism and, and yeah. simplicity. But um you know, and that's ama- obviously amazing. I mean, I, I will always love the Ramones and that, you know, what they do. But it kind of like, um, it, it, there's only so much you can do with that musically. So, so like, they influenced, obviously, the whole punk movement. But then a band like Fugazi was, like, when I hear them, it doesn't even sound remotely like punk to me, which is weird because they're so associated with the punk uh, ethic or, yeah. like, um, mentality but there's they're they're doing so much more musically than any punk band was doing. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they, you know, be, like I said, like from between the first records that they made. I mean, they, <laughs> watching the uh, they have a, a a documentary that that came out, and mm-hmm. I mean, they have interviews with, well, not interviews, but they're like talking to like some of their fans on the street, yeah. and they're pissed off. <laughs> like in the because they're not because they're not playing hard and fast punk rock anymore you know they're, yeah, the, yeah. the the rhythms are too slow and you know the, they used to be like more hardcore and like whatever happened to like minor threat and you know all that stuff and uh, and they're and they're just you know you can tell like when dylan went electric like, kind of like yes, exactly totally just like total blasphemy you know it's pretty funny watching these 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 young punk kids like not know what the fuck but they're in line going to see them of course that's like that's that's that typifies something about the punk spirit to me just like i'm gonna i'm gonna hurl abuse at this band while i'm like paying money to see them that's so true (laughs) decoding the punk mentality is like a sub theme of this whole podcast that uh totally (laughs) just like what is up with that but um Getting back to the Strokes just for a sec, I I I I think that like what was so cool about them was that they were um, it was musically minimal, but you could tell they knew what they were doing, and in that sense, to me, they were almost more like the Cars or something like that. Of like, okay, yeah. you have these little hints that these guys could be doing something more wanky if they wanted to, but what they're what they want to do is just like play rock, play some rock and roll tunes. Yeah, like I I think you're I think you're right when you say that. Uh... The true minimalist, uh, uh, I don't know what do you call it, punk rock music, pop music, whatever is uh, is is the Ramones, for sure, because those are just straight up. That's just like straight up pop pop songs played with a fucking Marshall and a Maz right, and it's all power chords, and they're just fucking ripping, you know. Yeah. And it's fucking super tight. The songs are short. They get to the point. 
but they're based in like 1950s style songs. Yeah. But they're but they're simplifying them and minimalizing mm-hmm. them. Um, I mean that's I mean that's the Ramones are probably one of the more more brilliant punk rock bands. They I think they sort of uh, completely personify what the spirit of punk was supposed to be. You know. Yeah. They didn't. Sure. They probably didn't really know. You know. I don't think any of those guys were schooled. I don't think so. No, I think that uh, they they basically like. Um, well, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that Tommy Ramone learned how to play drums, like he was like the manager of the band, and then he like taught himself how to play drums so he could be the drummer. Uh, <laughs> See, that's I mean, so when cool. you hear hear the first record, it almost sounds again kind of like outsider music to to today to me. It's so yeah. primitive, and like yeah. his, his voice is is like off key and everything. It's just like wow, like. You know, it's yeah. one of those moments, and it kind of harkens back in a way to Pink Floyd in a music business sense of just like there were times when you could just take a chance and be really creative. Like yep. someone heard Pink Floyd's Amagama and was like, yes, like lots of people will buy this. Let's mass yeah. manufacture it. And yeah. same with the Ramones. Like nobody was like, um, Joey, do you want to go back in there and like redo that vocal so it's a little bit more in tune? Like so, there were people who were just like, <laughs> were just like, yep, this is good. This sounds good. People will buy it. Let's put people it. People will out. buy it. Yeah, yeah. The, the the probably the biggest record that reflects that kind of mentality and always completely blows my mind is the success of uh, Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. Okay. I, I, was, I don't really I, I remember seeing an ad for it that on on much music but I never um I never really checked it out. It's like one of the most one of the highest selling albums of all time. Uh and it's it like you know you've heard it a thousand times you know what it is. You know it's like if you just built this record and he was just a guy making decided to make this record in his kitchen and then he got as as he started sending demos out or his brother or someone or his uncle or something was his manager i can't remember started sending like the demo tapes out as he was making the thing and i think it was i don't know was it the uh what's his name virgin records buddy branson uh-huh i think i think it was him maybe it was island records maybe it's the same person anyways uh they were like yeah Totally. This this will be amazing. People will buy this. <laughs> yeah. In like 1973, you're like, what? Really? Like, where is that record now? You know, like who who can make those? Like, it was one of the. It was like the biggest selling record, in like of all time for like a a short a short time. Like, it sold a shit ton of albums, and it's it's an instrumental. There's one song on one side and one song on the other Whoa. side. <laughs> yeah, and then he he never really like like what happened to him after. Is... Well, he he freaked out. He hated people, and he hated touring, and and he never. I don't think he ever expected it to be what it became. So he didn't want to do interviews. He shunned people like like trying to get in touch with him. He moved. He had a nervous breakdown. He moved away. They performed it once. I think the BBC convinced him to do a performance that they that they filmed and so there's one uh filmed performance of uh I think it's the whole record but I mean live it's like there's like 25 musicians it's crazy there's like there's actual tubular bells you know and like uh-huh. 
three or four guitar players like it's a huge like you know rock orchestra kind of thing while they're they're getting through playing this whole thing and a lot of the stuff that he had played were loops so he had to like figure out how to play these crazy bass lines that he had only played maybe once and so after i i think he 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 after the whole thing was over he's like i'm never doing that again okay and he didn't and he didn't but he made a fucking shit ton of money <laughs> i'm just actually looking him up on wikipedia and it says he has uh he has a ton of other albums, but he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't yeah. perform, except that he performed yeah. at the opening ceremony of the 2012 Olympic Games. <laughs> <laughs> and he's Amazing. done virtual. He's, he's he's done virtual reality. Oh wow! So there you um, go. Yeah, um, there we are. Yeah. So um, yeah. It, it, speaking of like, you know, we were talking about like weird, unexpected records to be popular, and like tying it in with. Um, like musical minimalism and the rock revival, like when the Strokes came out, they were often mentioned in the same breath as the White Stripes, which is another band. I mean, they're really not similar uh, other than, than that they're in the rock genre, but like White Stripes were so minimal and primitive, yeah. you know? And it was yeah. all, I mean, it wasn't like an outsider thing like the Ramones. It was almost like an, uh, I don't want to say intellectual, but on one of their early records, like, the liner notes were like a manifesto about simplicity. Like it was very thought oh. out. Um, huh. But, um, but yeah, whereas the strokes are kind of like the super produced and almost like, I mean, if you listen to that first record, which is amazing, um, he, he there's like a distorted vo uh, effect on the vocals on every song, which is a weird yeah. choice, but he's kind of crooning. Yeah. So they, like a distorted crooner over this super tight rock band. But yeah, the, the yeah. white stripes were so sloppy. You never saw that in at that time. It was right. It was yeah. like a really against the grain of things becoming really polished, and it was kind of it was yeah. quite refreshing in that way. Yeah, and also, uh, I, like you're saying, like I found it odd that they. I mean, their stuff's great, but I was surprised that it became that popular. That's huge. That you know, like that people were were we for for a band that's just. A drum kit and a guitar and sometimes not a guitar a piano instead <laughs> yeah and then a singer and that like that's it and it became massive yeah, I, just... I mean i it kind of gives you faith in humanity in a way you know in a way for sure yeah <laughs> in be... a small way <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean just in the sense that like sometimes you think there's no way that something weird and original could ever be huge again but yes. that's that's kind of like proof to the contrary yes totally um so anyway around that time was when like uh stacy and i moved to montreal and i can't remember the first time that we hung out but i do remember that you guys invited us to a show and i thought it was going to be like a besnard lake show but it was like you and olga and dave smith like playing noise like behind a curtain in a loft and i was just like but what the fuck is this it's like this is bullshit like I, I do you remember that i guess i probably do remember that was I that was, it was kind of like one of those things where i was like when's the show starting and i was like oh it's already over like <laughs> it's they, already over. that wasn't like they weren't testing their their is their the levels that was the show oh man there was so much of that shit going on though in montreal at that time yeah yeah dave had this uh dave had this mixing board that he would plug the chan the output of one channel into the input of the other channel so it would just be feeding back 
and you could change the 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 pitch of the feedback by changing the EQ on one of the channels. Okay. And so that was what he would perform with. I mean, I don't know if he actually did that when we did this, whatever this was that <laughs> we did. Uh, well, I don't know but, either because uh, you guys were behind a curtain. I couldn't even. Like... <laughs> but I saw. I remember I, I there was another it. like you remember you you know Gord Allen. He was booking shows at this little like art gallery yoga studio on the plateau. Oh yeah, right. Is that where we did it? No, no. This was at a okay. loft in old Montreal. Um, okay. But anyway, this is another show. And I remember Gord like described the, the kind of music that he booked as like music that sounds like two sweaters rubbing together. <laughs> but then I, I like went to see a show, which was Dave and, and another performer whose name I, I forget. But like at one point I, I looked and they were like, it was either Dave or the other or the woman he was performing with, but like they had a contact mic and this like little piece of tin foil. They were just rubbing, <laughs> rubbing it in between their fingers, and I was like, "Oh, Gord really wasn't exaggerating." Like, <laughs> yeah, that was Chris Cole. Okay, she yeah. had yeah, she did like yeah, little sounds and things on with contact mics, and then Dave would would use his his uh his little feedback machine and and it would just be like this at the end of the show you'd just be like uh, i remember dave made a record okay and uh, and it was like that and he was like ah yeah i don't know uh i don't know it was like a it was like a half an hour long <laughs> okay <laughs> and uh and he was like can you uh can you guys come over and just listen to this and let me know what what I need to do? Like I don't know. And so we went over to his place, and it was just like me for like a half an hour. Yeah. And then when it was over, he was like, "I don't know. What do you think? Like, what should I what should I do?" And I was like, "I, I, I think for the first time in my life, I was like completely speechless. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you do. Yeah. I don't know. What do you want this to be? Yeah, yeah. You know, this isn't 1967 anymore. You can't just put that out as side as the entire second record of your of your album and have it go double platinum. Yeah. 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 But you know, I mean at the time I remember kind of like just being like, "What? What is this?" But I, as I think back on it, I I feel nostalgic. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, I mean, those that shit at the time was just try, was was mo was mostly an excuse for everybody to get together to show to show to, to ruffle your peacock feathers to show <laughs> everybody else how, how much cool you cooler you are than the other person that you're so much into this thing that's happening that people are trying to call music. <laughs> but you're so open minded and such a cool hipster that it's like the coolest thing ever. Well, I mean that you know, I think that's absolutely true. Um, that's kind of all it is, <laughs> and and that's all it was. But maybe that's maybe there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like it's no, just... it's all. I mean, it's all part of being young. You know, it's like you're. It's a. It's a way to to get your your tail feathers out, so that you know everybody gets excited about. You know, oh, this guy's so much more into noise than I am. I guess I should probably go buy some tinfoil. <laughs> <laughs> a couple sweaters maybe <laughs> yeah i mean i like the way you describe it as being almost like a mating ritual like it is for sure it is it was for us you know like i mean i it wasn't for me I, I mean i'm sure it was for other people you know you go and you meet it's a it was a place to meet 
like-minded people back in the old days it was it was you'd go to the dance yeah you know you'd, you'd you know we, you know our, our parents would go to the dance and like this it's like we didn't we didn't we weren't we didn't dance we didn't go to dances my parents would still be like oh are you going to the dance this weekend you know it's like what the fuck are you talking about i don't even know how to dance but i know how to go to fucking some stupid experimental thing where they're rubbing two sweaters together <laughs> You know, if yeah. I could, and everybody so thinks that like, it's kind know. of like what you did, except like taking away the fun, <laughs> taking the movement. fun out of it. Yeah, and we can't laugh. There's no smiling involved. It'd be very it's not, serious. It's not allowed. <laughs> yeah, it's not. A, yeah, we we have to talk about it. It's kind of like hyper contextualize everything. And yeah, 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 because yeah, we're artists, Dad. You just don't understand, man. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, there's people all over the world who were actually having fun, and we just blew our twenties. <laughs> well, at least I did. <laughs> Being a fucking bummer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's a place for that too, I suppose. Um, of course, you know. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I remember that, like, uh, after after the this, uh, you know, underwhelming first experience. Uh, Seeing you perform, so to speak, if you were indeed performing behind that curtain, I don't, I can't say for sure what was happening. Can't remember. But, uh, but we, we ended up uh, becoming friends and working on a bunch of projects together. And um, I remember one thing that kind of like blew my mind, like just about you and your musical taste, like getting back to the sort of like, um, you know, the contrast between punk and, uh, and whatever is is not considered punk is that like you and I guess Steve, former Besnard Lakes guitar player, Steve Regley was also very much like this. You loved this style of music that at the time was like spectacularly uncool, which is like mm -hmm. sort of late 70s, early 80s, kind of like smooth rock. Mm -hmm. And that has had. I would say quite a bit of a of a hipster revival in the years since, but like I was like genuinely shocked when I when I when like sometimes you you and Augie had that DJ night at the Corova, and mm -hmm. and you would play um you know like the the Cliff Richards eighties things and like yeah. April Wine Devil Woman yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> yeah and yeah I remember that and of course Fleetwood Mac which you know yeah. We yep. probably don't need to dwell on like their reappraisal in uh, in the hipster <laughs> cognoscenti, but like there was a time when like that was for, coming from my punk rock background, it was like genuinely shocking that anyone could like you know publicly like claim that music. And that's probably why nobody ever showed up to our uh, our DJ nights except for you and Jonathan Cummins. <laughs> well, I remember I remember at one time you were playing one of the Cliff Richard '80s songs, and and Nick the Prick, he had just had enough. He was like, "It's shit. That's this, this what it is. It's shit." <laughs> but I have to say that that really was kind of like. Um, it was musically a bit of a game changer for me, just like realizing that I had been, um, that there was no real musical reason why I didn't like that music. I just didn't like it because you weren't supposed to. Yeah, yeah, totally. I actually remember like when we were going down, when I first met Steve and we were going down to New York, I was sitting in the back seat with him and that was kind of the first 
time when we got to know each other and we talked about fucking soft rock. Yeah. Almost the, the whole, whole way down. And, and back. That, that was the whole, and that was probably the impetus for me to be like, I got to get this guy in my band. And I mean, and that was also probably how, you know, the ideas of like Besnard being like this band that could play like guitar solos, which was also pretty uncool, even back in those, those early days. For sure. You know, we were, I was just like, fuck it. You know, it's like, I love this stuff. I've always loved this stuff. Yeah. And no one else. I remember else... there being a, <laughs> a, a, a review of one, of your second record that like crit criticized you. And I remember this specifically the wording they said, like irony free shredding. And I was like, okay, wait, like it's okay for there to be shredding as long as it's like cloaked in irony. Yeah. Is that what you're, irony what you're saying? Free shredding. Ah, oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> that's the whole thing. It's been completely irony free. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing with soft rock too. It's like the yacht or the yacht rock or whatever you want to call it. It was uh -huh. completely irony-free, too, but sometimes you listen to it, and you're like, holy fuck, you guys. Like, it's just oozing cheese. But, I yeah. mean, it's just some of that stuff is... But, I mean, that stuff, too, is like uh, what a fool believes. Like, that's a complicated song. Holy crap. I remember a couple years ago, uh, we played that festival in Shigawak, and Felber called me up and said, hey... um, do you want to, I'm, I'm doing new, you Rocky Oki. Do you want to sing what a fool believes? And I was like, Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I, and I learned the lyrics because I never really, I always just kind of mumbled the lyrics. I thought I knew the mm -hmm. lyrics, didn't know what they were. They're, they're, they're completely, it's super weird. It's about this guy who, who, um, who's with his, girl not with his girlfriend anymore but he still believes that they're together and the the the, the narrator is basically saying look like you got to get over it buddy like it's over which is a strange mm -hmm. kind of concept to have anyways but it's over top of this very weird jazzy in chord inversion situation musically that's happening underneath and when they went into that song mind you they massacred the song and they fucking made me look like an idiot <laughs> but when they did it, they played it and I could barely recognize because the tonal center of where the music, the L, the where, where the, the what's happening as opposed to like what Michael McDonald is singing to me mm -hmm. anyways, was super bizarre. Like it's a lot of that stuff is really, really complicated. And and, and, it, and they but 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 what's interesting that I find about it is they make it seem they make it sound like it's simple. Yep. You know, like I was never, I, I mean, I don't like Steely Dan. I really don't like Steely Dan, but that's one of the things that I, I, I find was really interesting about them too, is they make very complicated things sound simple. Why uh, don't you like Steely Dan? I, to, to my mind, they were always part of that whole yeah, yacht rock or I don't, soft yeah. rock. I don't know what it is. I, I never, there was never really anything any song like i was i mean it's uh, i was i'm i like i like I, I like just songs and music if it touches me i don't give a shit if it's i'm not gonna just jump on the the bandwagon if it's you know I, i'm not gonna just like steely dan just because it's part of the ilk i i never liked any of their songs i think there was like uh, maybe nah no nothing 
<laughs> Not a fan. I had. I remember buying all of their records at a garage sale. Someone was selling them in Regina for like five bucks a piece. Perfect vinyl, beautiful condition. Went home, listened to them, and I think I gave them away like a week later. Wow. I just hate. I just don't like it. But I mean, like some of the, you know, um, you know, like some of the. I mean, I think Michael McDonald sings on, or uh, on Steely Dan stuff, or maybe it's just Doobie Brothers, but. Anyways, like uh, Michael, I think McDonald's... he maybe did some backup vocals for them. Yes, there you go, there you go. I mean, with that. Uh... Well, you said oh, you yeah. talked about. Uh... Ride like the wind. Oh, I don't, I don't oh, know. Is that Christopher Christopher Cross? Maybe. Well, I don't know, but yeah. he he Anyways. also did backups for him. Uh, I do know that. Right. But I mean, you talked yeah. about uh, soft rock being irony free, and of course, Steely Dan was like heavily ironic, and like maybe there was something in that that you didn't that you didn't respond now, to. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I mean, I really. Uh, it it's kind of the, I didn't, I really didn't like their lyrics, like talking about, you know, we watched a movie and then you left and we talked about the movie as we walked down Madison Avenue. You know, I was just like, ah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so, but I think, yeah, anyway. Well, no, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, I think in the, in the in the irony of them writing those lyrics, I think that 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 to me felt like pretension. Oh yeah, like they yeah. were being overly pretentious. And I think what what I liked, what I what I liked about, and what I still like about the yacht rock, is uh, is the intense cheesiness, but the also the intense lack of irony. Hmm. Like it's like it's real. It's still real emotion. At least it feels this way. It all feels very real, you know, like air supply and, you know, those songs. It's like, man, like you really feel like they're like they like the uh, what they're singing about is is something that they really feel strongly about. Yeah. 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 Whether it's, you know, whether it's true or not, it feels that way. That's the most important. Yes. Thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I, I, I see what you mean. Um, and, uh, and I want to thank you for, you know, introducing, like making it okay to like soft rock, uh, <laughs> you know, in my life because anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I didn't really know at that time that it was that hated. I mean, I guess I just could have counted the amount of people who came to our DJ night every night. But <laughs> Well, I mean, t- to me, it's like, you know, you had to pick your camp. Uh, if you were, if you were punk, you couldn't like disco for instance, but I always secretly loved disco and I couldn't, um, I couldn't like, I couldn't really front in that way, which is why when the whole electro clash happened, I mean, that's, that's a whole other, you know, maligned genre that, Mm -hmm. you know, justifiably maligned because most of the, the acts were so terrible, but, um, (laughs) <laughs> but like there was something refreshing about the fact that the, the of combining like a punk attitude with a disco uh you know dance mm-hmm. um vibe as well because I was like oh I don't have to choose between the two anymore but like when you got when, when traditionally if you were into punk like you couldn't like disco you couldn't like prog and you couldn't like uh you know uh smooth anything smooth sounding like the so- soft anything soft yeah which is so stupid and it's so yeah. macho um, yeah. and like meaningless looking back. But um, I drank the Kool-Aid on that for, 
for quite a number of years. <laughs> I don't wonder when it actually flipped. Where I feel like maybe Fleetwood Mac was the first thing to flip, and then Yacht Rock followed after that. Yeah, I remember like that you guys were were like blasting Fleetwood Mac at one of your DJ nights, and and Nick Robinson was saying like, I bet you know this is gonna be this is gonna be popular. This is gonna be the next best big thing with the kids. And I was like, no way, no way. <laughs> And then, like, a month later, I walk into some other bar, and they're blasting, like, what makes you think you're the one? <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Like, there it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. They must have they must have heard it, heard it blasting out the front door as they walked by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, mm. so you've been, uh, you know, you've been actively working in music for, for quite a number of years. You've, you've done some pretty high profile projects like mixing the first wolf parade record record mm-hmm. or recording the new godspeed record uh and a, and a ton of things in between as well as your own music um like do what are you uh what are you loving these days music wise hmm well i this is a little bit of an admitamundo here okay <laughs> But I just got Sirius XM radio for my car. Okay. So, uh, you know, the rad thing about that is you can just, you can, well, I don't like it, flip the channel. You know, I don't like it, flip the channel. You're just mm-hmm. like channel surfing the whole time. And I mean, I've always, <clears throat> for years, it's no, it, it's no secret that I've also really love old style country like 50s 60s country and western music uh-huh. and they have a great channel called willie's roadhouse so I, I i i listen that's kind of my go-to channel listen to a lot of old country western oh yeah that's uh, awesome i love know, that too best. yeah but my uh but what happened oddly enough is uh it got stuck on the beatles channel for a while okay and i was revisiting because i was i you know i went down the beatles rabbit hole uh at a young age and so i know all those songs pretty intimately and and uh but i haven't listened to the beatles in a long long time and started listening to that stuff again and i was like oh my god it's so good and you know you think that just when you think you're kind of like over it or whatever it's like then it comes back and i mean i was kind of surprised by how i mean i've feel like maybe some of it is nostalgia just because there was a lot of good times that 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 music is associated with like mm-hmm. you know the for my first years being up at Besnard Lake and listening to the Beatles all the time back then it's like, it's like 95 so you know quite a while ago but uh, the other thing that I never ever thought that I would like is uh, I started to finally enjoy the Grateful Dead oh yeah there was one song <clears throat> I was uh, last time I was in Regina, uh, we were over at my parents friend's place having a bonfire and they had Sirius on Sirius radio. And they, and I think they had like it was like deep tracks or or like a, like maybe even the Yacht Rock channel. And mm-hmm. there was a song uh, from the Grateful Dead called Estimated Prophet that came on. OK. And I and I was like, I didn't know who it was, so I like shazammed it, and I was like, oh wow, Grateful Dead. I'm like, okay, maybe this is finally the gateway, my, my gateway. So I I found the song, <clears throat> and then I knew 
obviously with the deadheads like the, it's not about the albums it's about what they're doing live so i was mm-hmm. like okay went online started looking up on youtube like live versions estimated profit and uh they so i watched a bunch of estimated profit like i went i'm going down the rabbit hole now like i'm okay. going deep so i'm like i'm like estimated profit watching all these videos and then i watched this one where they where they play estimated profit they go into this long jam and then they finish on this song called terrapin station mm-hmm. and then i was like oh my god terrapin station jesus christ what a song so i found that song on the record and then i listened to the shit listened the shit out of that song and then i started finding that there were more versions of them playing this estimated profit in terrapin station and so then I started finding other songs in that. And then, I mean, you still have to be careful because that on that album, Terrapin Station, has mm-hmm. the song Estimated Profit at the front. And at the end, it has Terrapin Station. And uh, Deadheads will probably hate me for saying this, but the rest of the album is absolute garbage. <laughs> I, I, I believe you. I mean, there, there's a whole... Uh... I did a whole episode on the Grateful Dead of this show with uh, oh wow yeah with a, a Montreal writer named uh, Catherine Jezer Morton and she gave a really impassioned defense and, and she made a, a Spotify playlist of a bunch okay. of their live, but even she said like, you know, there's a lot of crap in, in like especially on the studio albums. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's unbelievable. Like they do this, they do a cover of Dancing in the Streets. It's yeah. probably the worst cover I've ever heard in my life. It is I, so I, terrible. I read someone on Twitter the other day saying that it was even worse than the Mick Jagger, David Bowie version. <laughs> oh, yeah. Way, way worse. <laughs> oh, it's not even in the same ballpark. Oh, my God. <laughs> but there are some really beautiful tracks that I've now found with Grateful Dead, and I get it now. And I okay. didn't get it before. And so that was like, that's a big, that's a, a big, you know, musical it's a breakthrough. Move. Yeah, it's a yeah. Big, big, big move for me. I mean, next, the, the next and probably one of the last things that I need to understand is uh, is Dylan. Oh, yeah. So that's yeah. So I, and I, 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 I'm waiting. I'm not I'm I'll never dive in unless it happens to me like the dead happens to me. Okay. But I'm still kind of waiting for that moment where I where I'm like, oh, OK, I, I love this. Let me let me. OK, see if I can so is there, there is there you, there hasn't been a, like a gateway for you? No, I mean this. It's kind of like we we're talking about with Pink Floyd. It's like it's all the all the. I'm sure you know a lot of those Dylan songs that you hear on the radio are awesome songs, but they're they're. He so has a heard. lot of albums. A lot yeah, of and albums. that's the other thing too. I mean, but you hear this the songs that maybe are the great songs or whatever, but you've heard them so much they don't have a meaning for you anymore. They don't feel they don't feel them. Oh anymore. yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Well, so, I love Blood on the Tracks. That's okay. my uh, that that would be my gateway to to Dylan. But I I never dived that deep. It's like I you know I I I think th- that he is awesome and obviously he's super important or whatever. But um, but I love Blood on the Tracks and I would I would say like check that out because you know again it's kind of like a a cool. Well, I was gonna say mid career. You know, is it electric? Oh yeah, yeah. It's okay. well, well. I mean, it's post him going electric. It's right. it's seventy four, okay. I think, is, <clears throat> okay. is when it came out or thereabouts. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just like really, really awesome songs, cool like arrangements. Um, yeah. But huh. um, okay, so now, is there anything that like uh, other than Steely Dan that like you just can't hang with or that you just like don't get? 
that people like? I well, mean, there's probably I mean, a lot of things, but anything that stands out. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the the first thing that comes to mind is the obvious thing is just like new country. Yeah, well, I've been talking about that a lot with people. I mean, it, it is a, an obvious go-to thing not to like. But like you, I love old country, yeah. and I kind of feel like I'm trying to figure out where the line is. I feel like, I just feel like new country doesn't, it almost, it's, uh, it doesn't do old country justice. Like they, they talk about how they're connected all the time, but it's just not, it's just, uh, it just seems a bit sacrilegious to be, to be, uh, you like, even, even if, even if country stars are trying to channel that old timey music it doesn't it still doesn't come across very well uh, mind you i do absolutely another little admit mundo i do love blake shelton's boys around here okay <laughs> you sh- yeah i mean it's uh and the video is super weird okay <laughs> i'll check it out i think you should check it out yeah i, I was obsessed with this song for months <laughs> yeah I don't and that's as close as I got actually right. to to really falling in. Yeah, falling I'm just in. curious, like you know, whether it's in terms of like songwriting, uh, technology, production, like where, um, where do you draw the line between old country and new country? Like for me, I love country right up until the '70s. When it starts to get into the '80s, that's when I start to kind of like that's when it starts to lose me a little bit. Yeah, me too. And by the nineties, I mean, I'm 90s fully falling though. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, and I think you might be onto something with the whole the technology of it. Like, there's something really endearing about hearing those songs. Like, they're a bit dull sounding, you know. But they have a nice sort of warmth to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're recorded they're recorded well but i mean in the early days they're still they're a bit sloppy but i mean those play they're there there's some a lot of that stuff what's cool about uh, old country music is it's uh, they probably still do it this way but it's performed yeah you know they're really you can hear they're all just they're all given her and it's just such it's so perfect another you know? thing like, that's really crazy about that old country is that there's a lot of like it sounds sort of musically minimal but like if you take something like Patsy Cline uh, you know, it doesn't sound like there's a ton going on, but there's like piano, organ, acoustic bass, electric bass, three guitars, <laughs> percussion. Yeah. Drums. You know, it's like, it's yeah. wild. And then I a saw a uh, fucking orchestra sometimes. Yeah. I saw Willie Nelson play uh, Place des Arts, which was like incredible. Oh, but wow. the opener was Ray Price, who's like an even more old school yep. guy. I know Ray Price. And he yep. had the full on band with three guitarists. And it's oh. like, yeah, it's like, you do. You wouldn't listen to that music and go, "Oh yeah, there's three, three guitars on this," but oh. but it's like, yeah, they're big, big bands. Oh, there's I so much going on. Love that shit. Yeah. 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 Was, but yeah, the the late set, late set. Once they started, once the sound quality got better, I think the cheese factor got up. Some for some reason, it all changed. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but. it's a bit of a mystery to me because I I like to stay open minded and like there's a lot of contemporary music that like. I don't care if it's produced really slick. I just like the songs or or I like the product the the newfangled production in some cases. Yeah. 
Yeah. But somehow with country, it doesn't, it doesn't click. It doesn't connect. And like, I find that frustrating actually, because like, it seems like, um, well, as you say, it's just, it's just such an obvious thing to say you don't like. And, uh, and, uh, and I want to like crack the code of it somehow. Yes. I mean, yeah, me too. I feel, I feel bad that I, that I can't, you know, like I never thought I'd ever get into the Grateful Dead. And here I am saying that there's some songs that I enjoy and that I get it now. I mean, it uh, I would be like, there's so much new country out there. There's got to be some. I mean, I did, you know, I did find like maybe Blake Shelton's your gateway drug. Okay, I'll check it out. <laughs> I mean, I like Shania Twain. So that's like, yeah. that's another kind of. Yeah. But there she's you like, you know, arguably more pop than, uh, yes. than country. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, you know what, man, it's, uh, it's always good to, uh, shoot the shit with you and, uh, and talk about music and, um, and, uh, you know, take the piss out of, uh, each other's, uh, (laughs) weird musical foibles. Um, I mean, it's fun. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, so, um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to wrap it up, but, um, I hope that, um, well, I, I say this like at practically at the end of practically all of these convos, but I hope that we can have a real life hang sometime soon. Oh, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, I imagine. Oh. Come <laughs> on out to come on out to Rigo. We'll walk on the mountain together. We can keep the socially distance. OK, I like it. Yeah, and let's by, do it. Maybe by that time I'll have like, you know, d- dove into some uh, to enough new country. Oh, to be able man. To... If you find some good new country tracks you gotta text me okay i will do (laughs) oh my god i'm excited now (laughs) awesome uh thanks mal this was fun yeah totally (laughs) that's our show i hope you enjoyed it the besnard lakes have a new record out called the besnard lakes are the last of the great thunderstorm warnings you can find it wherever music is available um thank you for listening if you like the show you know what to do. Go give us a rating, write a review, post it on your socials, tell a friend, spread the word, help uh, keep this podcast alive and thriving. Thank you, and see you next week for more What Is This Music? Music.